Hey there all you cool cats and kittens, and welcome back to another episode of Best in Sass, where each week we take you behind the scenes for conversations with some of Silicon Valley's best and brightest operators and investors. Crack a beer, get comfortable, and join us on our quest to find the patterns and playbooks that accelerate the sprint to 10 million of that good stuff, that repeatable stuff, that stuff we call ARR. So today I'd like to welcome Olivier LeBay, former SVP of sales at Geek2Crowd and currently the president of Metadata.io, where he leads go-to-market strategy, customer success, partnerships, and sales. Olivier, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So I'm really excited to dig into your background. You have such a fabulous track record of leading you know, high-performance sales and growth teams um, some of those have resulted in acquisitions, uh, LinkedIn notably. And, um, you know, as you know, the purpose of the show is to dive into the patterns and playbooks that operators and investors who have been around the block many times around um, continue to put into play when they go on to their next new thing. And I think the timing is perfect here because you just started fairly recently with Metadata.io. Um and so I'd love to hear, you know, based on where you started in your career, what are those um, early lessons that you keep coming back to and you're going to implement a metadata? Yeah, I, you know, what's interesting is this time around, I've, I've gone about it a little bit differently than I did uh, the last couple of times. Uh, but at the end of the day, the, the playbook I'm always looking for is uh, the first thing is understanding the business, right? So understanding, you know, the type of customers uh, that um, the company currently has on board and then seeing, you know, what those renewals are like um, and understanding, you know, where what is our ICP um, and how can we make sure their customers are seeing value and they're renewing and not only that, but they're spending more in uh, revenue year over year. So the first thing is usually like understanding that. Um, second has to do with the team, right? Is understanding like who, who is currently there, who is doing really good in their role, uh, and then where are the gaps? And then once you identify the, the gaps in the talent, and usually I, I tend to join companies that are, are looking to start scaling rapidly. And so usually there's going to be more gaps um, to fill uh, from a talent standpoint on the sales side. And so where what do we have in place? And then where do we need to um, look at, you know, recruiting uh, and what does the ICP, we do this in, in, in the, when we're selling to marketers, but essentially what's your ICP, ideal customer profile, uh, we do the same on the sales side, right? So what are the types of individuals and same with customer success, what are the types of in individuals that fit our ICP uh, for this company, not only from their experience standpoint, but from a culture standpoint. So uh, ICP sounds really important and, and it's definitely a topic that comes up all the time. Given that this is something that you go to and, and almost always are tweaking when you first come into the business, how, how do you go about that? Well, I usually try to just show up for, you know, 30, 60, 90 days and just evaluate what is going on before I start, you know, putting my stamp on, on the areas that I, I think need to be addressed. Um, but I can give you some uh, overview of what I've done at uh, Metadata. So when I came on board, um, this was a little bit different than uh, the last couple of startups that was at. So we had one individual uh, who had basically uh, started as a BDR and scaled the business to two and a half million in AR. 
turned BDR, turned sales rep, turned director of growth. A person named Logan. He's amazing. One of the best salespeople I've ever worked with. And so he was a you know one man show essentially. And so we had to evaluate, you know, what are our Logan skills, right? Where does he excel at? And then where, how do we, you know, and then our growth projections before COVID were three x revenue, and now we're two x revenue. So how are we going to get there? Uh, with, with the resources that we have in place. And so, uh, just evaluating, you know, uh, what do we need help with? And for us, there was a couple of areas that we needed help with. One is generating meetings. Um, and so, you know, we have resources in place to have a business development team, uh, book meetings for us. Uh, but then two, um, I had a, you know, wanted to implement a strategy around creating content. We are in a very, uh, busy space. Uh, so, uh, metadata operates in MarTech and currently I think the last, uh, I saw there was like 8,000 companies in MarTech. Uh, and so the very busy space. So having thought leadership and explaining what we do is really crucial here because we are competing for, for, for budgets with a lot of different companies and most companies don't do the same thing, right? There's actually very few companies that do what we do. Uh, that said, uh, the budgets for marketing teams are limited. And so we need to be able to educate uh, the customers uh, and the prospects that we want to engage with about not only you know how to do marketing better, but then also educate them about you know the value of using uh, a platform like Metadata. So uh, first off, I just wanted to say huge fan of Metadata. Uh, we use it at, at Mattermade all the time and roll it out for clients. It's a really powerful tool. Um, so for anyone who hasn't already checked out Metadata IO, uh, highly recommend it for um, all sorts of campaign goodness. Um, I won't, I won't go full sales pitch on everyone, but uh, just check it out. But so I'm curious because it's really kind of uh, not to overuse the word, but it's very meta that, you know, you're, you're thinking about growing a company that provides a tool and a platform for people trying to grow their companies. Uh, so there's, there's a ton of dog fooding there, certainly. Um, how are you thinking about that growth amidst our times right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we 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 revised the plan. Um, obviously, we were looking to hire a little bit more aggressively, and so we we've scaled back on that. Um, and so now our plan is to basically we've gone from one uh, quota carrier to five quota carriers uh, since I've been here, and we feel that we can hit our targets with the five people that we have in sales uh, this year. Um, so what we've done is essentially reduce uh, the planning on the back half of the year when we were going to, you know, basically double the sales team, and we are just going to be focused right now, laser focused on execution with the five quarter carriers that we have. And the good thing is, you know, I've been building companies now for a decade, and so I have a, a good group of people that I've worked with um, over the years, and um, you know. Uh, it was. I'm very, I feel very fortunate to have the team that I have in place because most of the people that are on the sales team we've worked together at, at two or three companies in the past together. I think there's so much to be said for uh, having that high degree of confidence in in the team that you've already worked with. It's like one less variable to worry about. Um, so that's fantastic. Yeah, to especially now. I mean, you know, given that you know we, you know, I'm trying to do a good job of leading the team uh, as we adjust to working from home. I've always been a, a huge uh, proponent of working in the office. Right? Uh, historically, I've, I've hired a young, inexperienced salespeople that had that drive. And I, you know, I told them, like, I can teach you how to close deals. I can teach you how to become an enterprise rep and close 
those million dollar deals, but I need you in the office every day. And now that we are moving to, you know, working from home uh, and adjusting to that, I think, you know, working with people that you've already worked with in the past that you already know makes it much easier. Um, I think I would struggle a little bit in, in hiring brand new people and, uh, and, and trying to make them feel comfortable, part of the culture, uh, and then, you know, giving them, you know, the freedom to be successful uh, and getting those resources seemed like it would be hard. So I, I feel pretty blessed that I have the team that we have in place, place right now. Certainly. So I, I'm curious. Um, I mean, working from home can very quickly, and especially for the periods of time at this point, we're all working from home, uh, can become fairly low energy if you let it. And for such a, you know, sales is so high energy and, and needs to have that drive behind it. I'm curious what you have done or what you've tried to implement to, to maintain that level of connectedness, competition, energy. Um, yeah. So, yep. Uh, one of the things that we've done uh, is that we, uh, I, I get up early and, and some people are, are going to think this, uh, the time is, is a little crazy, but at 7.45 a.m. on the West Coast, we do have some some people there in different time zones. We're, we're pretty spread out sales team. Uh, but at 7.45 a.m., the sales team gets on a Zoom call and for 15 minutes, we uh, hang out. We talk about what went well yesterday, uh, you know, what's on our mind. And then we have like a motivational uh, somebody on the team will pick something that uh, is assigned every day, and they they share something that you know inspires them. And then that's seven forty five eight, and then at eight o'clock, I do the same with the customer success team. So um, there's a uh, so we get on the phone and we just you know talk about what's on our mind, make sure like everybody is uh, able to share and connect really early on in the day, uh, gets you ready for the day, and then you know we go um, and uh, and take care of our customers. I love that setting the tone right away. Uh, so I'm curious, you, you started your career off in, um, banking, right? I did. Yes. I, uh, I studied economics at UC Davis and then I wanted to become a financial advisor. Um, and so I worked on Sandal road. I worked for, uh, Smith Barney, which was eventually acquired by Morgan Stanley, um, but and then I worked for UBS. So I spent a couple of years in banking, realized that uh, it was something I didn't want to do for the rest of my life, and uh, I got out. Do you think that there are there any lessons that you learned there, or or kind of fundamental fundamentals, I guess you could say, that you've brought with you and, and carried through to your kind of current focus with oh, for driving sure. growth? Yeah, so I think one of them uh, had to do with working hard. Um, you know, I I was really hungry. I really wanted to to, to be successful. And in banking, it, it's pretty in wealth management specifically. It's pretty hard, right, for a 22 year old to basically go and you know telemarket, which is what I was doing. I was telemarketing people that I did my research on, and I could see that they've been successful in the past through the dot com. But I, I came into banking in '02, which is right after the crash. So a lot of people that look like they've been, you know, successful on paper, um, actually, you know, after the stock market uh, tanked, they, you know, they, they weren't um, in a position to, to invest. And so as a 22-year-old, it's a really difficult job to convince 50-year-olds to give you millions of dollars to manage. <laughs> <laughs> but and, and so I just like I was telemarketing and at first people would hang up on me and I was like, no, nah, I'm going to keep trying. Right. I'm, you know, I would do like 125 dials a day. And I would get, and I'd do, yeah, and I'd, I'd crank it out in like two hours. It, it was just torture. And then maybe I'd get like five or six conversations. 
right? Or like beginning of a conversation. And then in the beginning, I wasn't good. And I was, you know, maybe stutter or um, stumble on words and people just click, click. And uh, I got to a point where I just didn't want people to hang up on me. So I got pretty good at getting them to like chat with me. And so that was definitely one of the best skill sets I ever received was it's just like the ability to jump on the phone, not knowing anything about this person and getting them to be open to having a quick conversation with you. Um, just get that trust. And for me, um, and there's tons of books I read about telemarketing, but for me, it was like, how are you? And if you ask that question, depending on how they react, I could take that conversation a variety of ways. And if they said good, then I'm like, oh, perfect. This person is going to be nice and I can have a really decent conversation. But if they say, uh, I'm like, oh, it's, and then I can sense that you're busy. Is that right? And then they'd be like, yes. I'm like, no problem. Can we reschedule for maybe two o'clock this afternoon? And I learned really quickly on based on how people would answer, how are you, that I could pretty much have a good chance at getting them to, you know, engage with me. Wow. That's such a great kind of leading indicator and such a condensed uh, period of time to know how a conversation is going to go. So is that is that one of the stories that you kind of embed into your, you know, when you bring these junior sales reps in and you're, you're molding them into your liking, is that one of kind of the foundational pieces that you're, that you're teaching them about how to handle calls or? No, I wouldn't say it's uh, no foundational. Uh, for me, it's like everyone has to figure out their own way to do things. And that's one of the things that I, I try to do when you know, I hire people is I'll give them an overview of all of the different ways that I think are effective at um, breaking through the noise and getting prospects or customers to engage with you. And uh, it really depends. Um, so, I, you know, when I was a G2, I was a huge fan of sending videos to prospects, right? Just send 20, 30 second videos. Uh, at G2, there was a product called Buyer Intent that I was pretty involved in creating based on, on my experience at working at Flip-Top. And it basically tracking all the behavior companies and trying to explain buyer intent via email is way too confusing. And so what we would do is just 20 second videos and just pull up Google. And then you can see the, the you know, picture of the individual at the bottom and say, hey, I just want to let you know when you Google this and this and this, we come up first. I want to talk to you how you can leverage that. And then marketers are like, holy cow, you own our SEO? Yeah, I want to talk to you. And if you've tried to explain this via paragraphs, via you know an email, no one would read it. But a video, people are like, yeah, I'm going to click on it and I'm going to watch it and we're going to book meetings that way. So what I try to do is just offer all of the different areas and, and that I think can be useful to bring in through the noise and, and engaging with, with customers and, and, uh, and prospects. And then let the person, let the, the rep, the customer success manager figure out what works best for them. Everybody's got different styles and I don't want to, you know, force my style onto somebody else uh, because I, it doesn't come off as authentic. And I think that in today's age, I think being authentic is, is what's most important um, because people can, can smell it when, you know, you're not. Sure. Yeah. And I love that outbound is getting so much more creative these days with video and just kind of making it all that much more human. It's really nice to see. It is. It is. It's hard to do at scale. I got to say, it's really hard to do at scale, and it's really expensive as well because you have, you know, you have to hire the BDRs, you got to train them, you got to buy all the tech stack, and then you know, you, you hopefully it, it works well. But luckily, um, there's so much data out there now, you can figure out pretty quickly if it's working or not, and then you can pivot accordingly. 
for sure. So I'm a big believer in, uh, and sometimes our biggest failures become the, the biggest building blocks for our own growth and lessons learned and, and some of the playbooks that we take with us. I'm curious if there are any kind of glorious stories of things that you thought were going to work well that, that ended up bombing and that you maybe turned into lessons learned, or if, if that isn't how you learn, then if there's just an amazing success story as well, we could do one of each that, uh, that you've learned from and has become foundational for you. Uh, well, one of the things that I've kind of, I, as I mentioned to you earlier in the call is I started, you know, doing outbound. So outbound and activities has always been what's most important to me. Right? I'm like, I look at activity, you know, dashboards and I, I look at, you know, which reps, are generating the most meetings. And one of the things I've noticed in, in many of my top reps at G2 when I was there, they're like, you see, like activities have nothing to do with, you know, I've closed over a million dollars this year and, you know, uh, I don't do the, you know, 100 dials a week that you request out of me. And so I've actually, over time, changed my philosophy on activity, but it's still something I, I think is important because it shows how much, you know, the rep is trying to grow the business itself. But I used to be uh, pretty adamant that you needed to do X amount of, of dials and X amount of meetings a week and, and X amount of uh, emails out uh, to get to your number. And because that's what I had learned when I worked with Paychex, that was a, a, a job I had early in my career. It was very much focused on the metrics. And now I've found that it's not necessarily that way. So even though it's something I think about all the time from a metric standpoint, I'm more open to letting reps figure it out themselves and focus on the areas that, you know, they, they feel they can do. Because everyone's got that, you know, all good salespeople, our customer success have their secret sauce and it's different for everybody. So you can't treat everyone the same way. So I've learned over time to, you know, not expect and be so rigid on, on the metrics. That's a really good one. I'm curious. I mean, that must take a lot of self-control to give reps the space if they have kind of a different style that you might not really relate to, but you know, you're giving them the space and the trust to hit their number regardless, but it inherently is creating a gap of your in your predictability and in your ability to model out kind of in your dashboards what things are looking like and, and forecasting. How do you make up for that? Or how do you kind of bridge the gap in your mind and in, in the way that you speak to your other you know peers and executives? Yeah. I, I One of the things I do when I manage people in the first meeting I have with them is I ask them, how do you like to be managed? I think that's a crucial question that many leaders do not ask uh, the people that I work with. How do you like, everyone likes to be managed differently. Um, so, you know, in my case, is um, if things are going well, uh, I want you know my boss to tell me you're doing a great job, and if things are not going well, I want my boss to double down on that and say you're doing outstanding, and let me figure it out. And usually, I showed up to my one-on-ones with like here's like uh, ten things I want to talk about during this one-on-one. So um, that's the way that you know I like to be managed. But uh, everyone's different, so I like to ask my customers, you know, I like to ask the employees, how do you like to be managed? My kids are. Uh, around uh how do you like to be managed and then uh and then going into every one-on-one with that person um i remind myself to read the notes so that i can go into the uh the one-on-one with that top of mind and i think that makes the the relationship so much uh better right because at the end of the day i you know i have an agenda they have an agenda 
but I'm going in thinking about how can I optimize our working relationship to get their success, right? And the second thing I asked when I started a relationship uh, managing somebody is, you know, where do you want to be two to five years from now? Because my job as a leader is to get you to that next stage, even if it's not within our company, even if it's, you know, if you decide to go take, um, you know, your talent somewhere else, uh, at least I did my job to get you to that position where you got that opportunity to further your career. So those are the two things that I, I really think about um, every time that I meet with my, you know, my reps or, or, or my managers during our one-on-one. I love those. Um, all right. So this is my, my, the way I love to wrap these things up is to ask you, you know, we all have folks in our lives who have been influential or inspirational or even just peers um, who we look up to and think are doing fantastic work out there. Uh, who are some of those people for you? Yeah, there was, uh, I, um, I was fortunate to work at Glassdoor in the early days and, and I had a really good run there. And, and one of the things, one of the reasons I left is I was looking to, to get into management. And so I went to a small company called ClickUp and, uh, the CEO of that company, Doug Campbell John, uh, gave me, gave me an opportunity to, to go in and, um, basically help them figure out one, how to sell the product. Uh, they, and, um, and to scale the team. And that was my first opportunity to lead a team. So Doug Campbell, John, uh, giving him that opportunity was great. He's really, really smart guy. Um, after the flip-top acquisition, he went to LinkedIn. He worked there for four years as, a, as the uh, VP of product for Sales Navigator. And, and now he just went to Salesforce as the, uh, the VP of product for Sales Cloud. So he's definitely one of them. And during that interview, he also brought in uh, this... Um, um, sales coach, Jocko, um, his company is called Winning by Design. And uh, and then those two people have been very influential in, in my career because after getting hired that day, you know, things have uh, been worked out pretty well so far. Um, so the, the meeting I had with those two people really helped me out. And then uh, the next person I want to highlight is Godard, uh, who gave me the opportunity at G2. Uh, I got to work really closely with Godard over the course of four years, and we had a really amazing run at G2. And he's a really good leader that would basically, you know, come you know, to our one-on-ones and say, "How can I help?" and, and basically just get out of the way and let me do my thing, which um, I really appreciated. So those will be the ones that come to mind. Fantastic. Well, Olivier, I think you've uh, you've certainly shared a ton of really actionable and, and insightful information, especially for you know, aspiring sales leaders or sales leaders who are still finding their footing um, or even experienced sales leaders who are comparing notes and, and just looking for uh, making this next year the best one that they can. So thank you for coming on the show and spending the time with me. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Talk to you soon.